All right, well, good evening, Salt Company. It is my pleasure to invite you. Ah, that's good. A couple of people got that one. Okay. It's, my, it's Nugget Night, so Chick-fil-A, my pleasure, ha-ha. Okay, that's the only joke tonight, guys. We're going in. Uh, we're, welcome to, uh, to Doxa Church. This is the, the building that Doxa meets in. Salt Company is the college ministry of Doxa Church, and we'll be here for the rest of the year. So if you're not a part of a local church here in Madison, we'd invite you to come join us on a Sunday morning at 9 or 11. This Sunday, we got some students in the room getting baptized on Sunday morning, so it's going to be a sweet time. So cannot wait for that. Um, you'll hear us refer to this building as Doxa Church, but we are convinced that the church is more than a building. Rather, it's a group of local believers who have committed themselves to one another and to care about what God cares about. And in Acts chapter 16, we've been actually seeing the beginning of a new church, the church in Philippi. Last week, we saw uh, Lydia. We, we looked at the story of Lydia. We saw Lydia trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior as God opened up her heart to what Paul was saying. Paul slowed and he sat and he spoke the gospel to her. And, and this evening, we're going to meet the newest member of the church of Philippi. She's a little bit different than Lydia. And while we don't know everything about her story, I'm going to warn you right up here up front, Salt Company, it is a sad one. Based on our understanding of the city and the culture of the first century, her story may have gone something like this. You heard her read by Timmy. This is the demon-possessed slave girl. Many years before this encounter with Paul, a girl was born. The situation of this birth could have been a number of different scenarios. You see, in the town that she grew up in, in Philippi, it was a Roman colony with a very specific history. About 80 years later, maybe you've heard about Julius Caesar being betrayed by Brutus and Cassius, right? Junior year, high school, anybody? Listen, up in that, okay. Yeah, um, so what happened from that was Brutus and Cassius fled to this region in Macedonia to raise up an army to take over Rome. But Mark Antony and Octavius, who history buffs in the room will know, eventually becomes, uh, 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 becomes Augustus, fought the fight and defeated them in that region. After this war, you've got a ton of soldiers in a region far away from Rome. So what happens? They say Roman colony. We're going to establish this location as a Roman colony right here in Philippi. It was the chief city of the region in Macedonia. It was called Little Rome, a massively influential place in this uh, region of the world. And soldiers made up a large part of the city, as did tradesmen. There was this road called the Ignatian Way that would go from Neapolis, which was by the sea, all the way up to, to Philippi, which brought many people, many men into this area. As such, between the soldiers and the tradesmen, Philippi had a reputation very similar to other Roman colonies in that it was not very safe for women. Think of it as a first century hookup culture only a billion times worse. This little girl very well may have been the daughter of a woman who was used by a soldier, a traveling tradesman who left. Perhaps she was the daughter of a couple who were married until something happened. Perhaps the man was called off to war and never returned. Maybe the father was a tradesman whose business dried up and he lost everything and left. Whatever the case may be, what we see here is the one who suffers the greatest is this little girl. No little girl winds up as a demon-possessed slave without there being intense tragedy and trauma in her life. We don't know how she became this, but we do know that the slave trade in the Roman colonies was brutal. Perhaps her family sold her. Perhaps she was taken. 
February is a, quite a month to remember the brutal realities of this early form of chattel slave traitory, which just to acknowledge this in the room uh, for just a moment, some of you may have heard that the Bible affirms slavery, and that's a defeater for you as you think about following Jesus. How could I follow Jesus as Lord and Savior if this book says that slavery is good? Let me just tap into that very quickly just to clear some stuff up. First, slavery is ancient and predates the writings of the law in the Old Testament. So if you ever hear someone say the Bible created slavery, they're unequivocally, historically incorrect. Second, what the Old Testament does do is regulate a form of indentured servitude. There's very specific rules about this in the scripture that put the weight of dignity and care on the servant of the one who's over the house. But what's critical to understand is that this is not the slavery of early America. This is not a scriptural affirmation of chattel slavery. In fact, over and over again in the scriptures, this wicked people trading slavery is explicitly condemned by scripture over and over. And while some churches in early America abandoned the scriptures and approved slavery because they were too afraid of wicked plantation owners to stand up to them, which is the part of history you may know, the part of history you may not know is that unequivocally the church of Jesus Christ across multiple continents has always been at the forefront of being against slavery and human trafficking and for the abolition of all enslaved peoples and still is to this day. We good? All right, back on. This little girl had experienced a slavery that the scripture explicitly condemns. She's experiencing deep pain and deep brokenness in her condition. Her family has failed her. She has been enslaved. She's possessed by a demon. She's used as a means of profit by her owners, which means that the only value that she ever thought that she ever had is that they would profit off of her physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual pain. This is a sad story. And if we were able to get into the mind of this little girl, I wonder if she would not have had a thought that kind of went like this. Is this it? Is this life? Is this, is this all that I'm going to experience? Abandoned by my parents? Used and then used again? I wonder if this question ever crossed through her mind. Is this all there is? It's all company... My presumption is that none of you are currently being trafficked, although I say presumption because that's entirely possible in a room this size. So please let me or one of our staff members know we have organizations we can literally connect you with tonight. But I'm willing to bet that while many of you in this room aren't experiencing that, you do know the feeling of being used. That you do know the feeling of someone using you regardless of the pain that it causes you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. That perhaps the experience of this little girl feels distant for you, but at the same time, it feels so familiar. And that while God didn't do that to you, other people have, or perhaps your own decisions have played into it. And it's painful for you to look at reality where you're at right now and to eke out that one sentence. Is this what you're experiencing? Is this all there is? You experience pain because of the effect of other people's sin around you and on you in your life. The brokenness that's been orbiting your life. Or, if you're honest, the brokenness that is inside of you. Your own sin. Is this all that there is? So I want to show you tonight through this text one of the fullest, most beautiful gospel truths that I possibly could this evening. And it's that right now, tonight, the freedom that is available to you in Jesus Christ can come to you wherever you're at. 
and can actually show you that this is not all that there is. That things are, do not have to stay the way that they presently are. So often the work of Jesus is treated like it's some future tense thing. Like I start following Jesus, check my box, and it doesn't matter until I die. And what that's like is, is like a child who was an orphan and who was adopted and who looked at his adoptive parents and said, I'm going to go do my orphan thing for the rest of my life. Just put your name on my gravestone. They, 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 it's like they have missed out on so much life that is available to them right now. Salt Company, that's why we say when you start following Jesus, you receive eternal life. And you start to experience it right now. Now, you're forgiven of your sin by Jesus right now. And you're invited to the freedom of new life with him right now that will last into eternity. That means that the way things are did not have to be the way that they'll always stay. Said another way by Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. Who the Son, Jesus, sets free, is and will be free indeed. And tonight my prayer for you is that you get to experience that freedom that this little girl experienced. The freedom of Jesus Christ. So we're going to hop in and see what that looks like in this text as we approach three aspects of this freedom. Uh, Note takers, this is for you. We'll be looking at the gift of freedom, the problem of freedom, and the fight of freedom. Uh, We like to say that if the word doesn't do the work, then the work won't get done. So let's get into it and let's get after it. Verse 16. Once... As we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she followed Paul and by which she predicted the future, sorry. And she made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Isn't that kind of wild? Okay, um... Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Interesting language. And it came out right away. All right, first, the gift of freedom. I read this text and I wonder if this little girl could even remember what it was like to be free. That's difficult, isn't it? Like anyone here who's ever felt like depressed or anxious in a significant way would absolutely get that. It's hard to think that there ever was a moment of freedom or that there ever will be a moment where you don't feel just trapped again. And in a moment, she is freed. (laughs) She's freed by Paul, who you may have heard is greatly annoyed. That's kind of a wild reason, right? Like, I'm greatly annoyed with you. Here's Jesus. Boom. Right? Like, that's kind of a strange Interesting thing. Don't do that, by the way. You'll be the annoying person. Um, So, sorry. Uh, The phrase greatly annoyed here is accurate to the translation, but the word annoyed has a meaning that our common cultural understanding of it doesn't quite capture. Uh, Another way this could have been translated is that Paul was greatly burdened or greatly grieved. This text is communicating to us that Paul felt strongly burdened by this girl, for this girl. He felt grieved by what he saw happening to her. And it was strong enough that after a couple of days, he does something about it. Which is another odd thing. Because if you look at what she's saying, why do something about it? Uh, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. That's correct. Like, that. why not just let her kind of keep... Saying it over and over. They, the, the, this demon knew who Jesus was. As James 2 says, they knew who God was and trembled. What she's saying is correct, so why does Paul shut it down? Well, two reasons. One, what she's saying is almost correct. Because they're not proclaiming a way of salvation, Salt Company. They are proclaiming the way of salvation. 
When Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, he did not stutter, especially when he followed it up and said, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, to trust in him as Lord and Savior. So it's only partially correct, but secondly, he does this to ensure that there wouldn't be an alignment between what he's doing and what she's been known for doing. He does this because he's burdened for her, and he does it because he doesn't want the gospel of Jesus to be associated as aligned with the occult. So Paul, in the name of Jesus, sets her free, which is to say that Jesus sets this little girl free through Paul. The way things have been for her is not the way they will always be. Freedom comes to this little girl as a gift. There's three parts to this gift. Part number one is that the gift comes from outside of herself. See, Paul brings the freedom of this gift to her. She doesn't make herself free. Paul has to bring the gift to her, and the gift is freedom in Jesus' name. Acts 4.12, the disciples of, the, of Jesus say there's no other name on earth by which mankind can be saved. His name is the name that sets us free from our sin. His name is powerful because it represents his nature. Jesus Christ, the saving Messiah, God himself, come as a man to save us. The gift comes from outside of herself. She can't save or free herself. It's outside of herself. But it's also an undeserved gift. The gift of freedom is a gracious gift. That is to say it is unmerited, unwarranted, unclaimable, and undeserved. There's nothing this girl could have done to earn this gift of freedom from Christ. It was simply given to her. The gift is outside of herself. It is undeserved. And finally, it's more than she could have hoped for. What is the best that this girl could have hoped for from Paul? Maybe to pay her to go away, to be able to take some time off and get away. Like what could she have expected from him? Whatever she could have expected, this was better. This was more than she could have hoped for. Freedom was not on the menu in the mind of this little girl, but it's exactly what Jesus would do. She goes from no hope of freedom to fully free in Christ in a moment. This is the gift of freedom given by Jesus to this little girl through Paul. And it is the exact same way that freedom comes to anybody through Christ. Freedom comes to anyone through Christ from outside of ourselves. No one can free themselves. That's like expecting an external battery to plug into itself and charge itself forever. You know what happens to that thing? It dies. We try to free ourselves and we sometimes wind up with more bondage and brokenness than we had in the first place. You can't free yourself. And I think that many of us know that already. Because at the bottom of every bottle, at the butt of every blunt, at the next social media post, the next porn site, the next hookup, the next whatever it is that you run to, you know that what you're looking for is freedom. And you know the thing you keep running to keeps coming up short. It's not giving you what you're looking for. We find ourselves trying to free ourselves and then find ourselves ultimately fighting ourselves. You can't free yourself. And once you accept that, you can actually be honest that you're looking for freedom in all of those places. That they've all let you down and that Jesus is actually the only one who offers true and lasting freedom for you in himself. Freedom that comes from outside of you. It's not asking you to fix yourself or to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or be good enough to come to God. It's God saying, I'll actually be good enough to come to you. I'll move towards you. I'll come down to, to you. I will come from outside of you to bring you exactly what you need. Freedom. There's 
freedom that comes from outside of you, and this freedom is undeserved. For every single person in this room, I have terrible news. You are entirely incapable of making yourself free from your sin. And for every single person in this room, I have wonderful news. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for you to be free from your sin and to be saved and have new life in him. And the only way this happens is by having faith in Jesus through the undeserved grace of Jesus. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. That Jesus came to rescue us, though we didn't deserve it. That he lived a perfect life we could never live on our behalf, though we didn't deserve it. That he died the death that we deserved on the cross and rose again for new life so that we who trust in him might be made righteous with God. Which is to say that we would have a way to be with God through Jesus. That we would be saved, which is to say that we would be free from our sin and have everlasting life with Jesus. All of this entirely undeserved by us and graciously given by Jesus Christ. Freedom comes from outside of ourselves. It is undeserved and ultimately it is more than we could have ever hoped for. Jesus pays the ransom that our sin required. He dies for all who have felt dominated by sin. He rises for all who have fallen into sin. And all of this to free us more fully than we could have ever hoped for. Sin traps, the Savior frees. Sin enslaves, the Savior emancipates. Sin binds, the Savior liberates. We can be with him now and forever in this freedom that he has purchased for us and given to us. And it goes beyond Whatever false boundary you have for it in your mind, however far you think God would actually go to forgive you, he has gone a million miles farther. Just, like, just be curious about how far would you actually have to fall away from God for you to think this is too far. And he will meet you at that place, smile and say, I've gone further. This is the goodness of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's come from outside of you. It's undeserved. It's more than you could hope for. This is the gift of freedom that's available to anyone who is in Christ. To be free from our sin and experience new and everlasting life with Jesus. This is precisely what this little girl in this moment experiences. She experiences quite literally new life. She was oppressed by a, a demonic spirit. She's free. She was, go was enslaved. Now she's no use to her masters anymore. So she's quite literally, in another way, free. She has a new life. It's foreign to her. It's the gift of freedom. But it can also feel like the problem of freedom. This new life, for some people, can feel like a problem. It certainly creates a problem for others. Look at verse 19. When her owners realized that the hope of profit was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our cities. They're Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or to practice. We'll get more into what happens after this next week. But do you see the intent here of the people who owned her? Their hope of profit was gone. Said another way, when this little girl got free in Jesus Christ... The people that were around her realized they couldn't use her anymore. It's a reality that many face when they experience the freedom in Jesus Christ is having to ask and answer this question. What happens when the people around you can't use you anymore? Will they still be your friend when you choose to live into the freedom you've received through Jesus Christ? This is what happens 
when someone experiences true freedom in Christ. And it introduces what feels like the problem of freedom. This little girl now needs to learn how to live free from scratch. She is free, but will she live free? What's always interested me about this text is we don't actually know what happens next with this little girl. The story just ends. But I think we can piece some of it together faithfully because we do know what she can't do. She can't return to where she used to stay because she's not useful to her old masters anymore. She's houseless. Everyone who knew her will either keep their distance from her because of her reputation or will be disappointed because she can't fortune tell for them anymore. So what's going to happen to this little girl? The incredible reality of her freedom in Jesus shines brightly before her. But just like for all of us, the comfortable shadow of the life that she's always known looms behind her. Her new freedom offers her a choice. Will she try to go back to some other form of slavery that she's always known? Or will she walk forward in the freedom that Christ has given her? Slavery is an option for her to return to. It's all she's ever known. It's what's comfortable. It's not ideal. But what else is she supposed to do? See, the problem of freedom isn't really a problem. But it does present you with a question. The reality that you actually do have a new life in Christ. That you weren't freed by Jesus Christ. He didn't die on a cross and rise again from a tomb for you to go back to the life that you were always living beforehand. He didn't die and rise again for you to live in bondage. He died and rose again so that you actually might walk in the freedom that he's purchased for you by his shed blood and risen body. You've been freed by Christ to live into the new life that he has given you. The question is this. Will you actually live into this freedom? Like, will you live into the freedom that Christ died and rose again to give you? It's the question that this offers. But what will this little girl do? Will she go back to her old way of life and return to slavery? Or will she live into the freedom she's been given and go, if you remember, to Lydia's house? We don't know what she does, but I think we can safely understand that if this little girl has been freed by Jesus, then she'll turn then to follow Jesus, which means she would have eventually ended up at Lydia's house. You'll remember this from last week. That's where Christians started to gather in Philippi. That's where the church in Philippi started to, to get together. And going to Lydia's house is a massive deal because it is a choice by this little girl to learn an entirely new way of life. And that sounds great in the sermon. But it is understandably terrifying when the rubber meets the road and you're actually the one making that decision. When you're like, if I follow Jesus, that means my life is going to change. Which means there are some things I did before that I'll no longer do. There's some places I went that I'll no longer go to. And those things, not to prove that I'm better than anybody else, but just because I'm actually following Jesus now. The things that I ran to for freedom never offered me freedom in the first place. So I can actually now find freedom in him. So why would I run back to those things? Like the proverb says, like a dog to its vomit. This is a massive deal. But could you like imagine just for a moment this little girl, all the thoughts that might be going through her head? Like what if she rolls up on Lydia's house and someone that she fortune told for was there? Or what if she rolled up on that house and one of her old masters was there? What if someone who used me before is there? What if they don't like me? What if I don't fit in? What if I'm too dirty and too different? What if I don't get it right away? What if it takes time for me to learn how to live into this new life? What if I slip up? What if I mess up? What if I go back and then come back again? And it's here that this little girl will experience the third aspect of freedom. What I like to call the fight of freedom. 
This is a tricky concept because in one sense, she is instantly free. And in another sense, it will take a long time for her to learn how to live into her new freedom. And sometimes for some people, this can seem scarier, learning to live into the new freedom that Jesus offers you, than returning to what kept you trapped and enslaved before. We love what's familiar even if it hurts us because at least that hurt is comfortable. It's tolerable. We know freedom is better and that it leads to life, but it feels more difficult because it's slower and newer and costly all at once. Zay, Zay and I, Zay's our worship leader, uh, we were wa- talking about this earlier this week and he dropped an absolute dime when he said this. He said, what was fa- he said this, what was familiar to her was not what she was created for. What was familiar to her, her life of slavery, her life of oppression, her life of being used is not what she was created for. But it felt like it. It felt like the comfortable, known, familiar thing. So to leave it felt like leaving everything else behind. Often what's familiar to us is not the life we were created to live. So when she asked, is this really it? The answer was no. It was not really it. But it felt like it was. This is why the fight of freedom is a fight. It starts slow. It feels like she's learning how to like walk again. It feels like she's starting from zero and learning how to like breathe again, how to live again. It's like everything is brought back to square one to be rebuilt this time the way that it was meant to be. It kind of sounds like what Jesus was saying when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and he said, you must be born again. Almost like Jesus was making a point there. That there would be a rebirth, a new life that was experienced by those who were forgiven of sin and followed Jesus as Lord and Savior. That they would experience almost the tension of saying, I'm going to have to relearn in some ways how to live if I'm going to follow after Jesus. And that might feel messy and costly and uncomfortable, but oh, it would be so much worth it to actually live into the freedom that I've been offered by the Son of God who has come to take away the sin of the world, including me. I love the honesty of Jesus, though, because later in John, he speaks to his disciples in John 16, 33, and he says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. That's pretty nice. Part two, in this world you will have troubles. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus tells his disciples the truth. There will be time of troubles. There will be moments where this new freedom feels like a fight. I'm willing to bet that there are several of you in this room walking in the freedom of Jesus Christ that he's given you as you've decided to follow him as Lord and Savior has felt at times like a fight. It has felt like you have been experiencing this fight. Sometimes uh, it felt like a fight and you felt like it would be so easy to just go back to what was comfortable or what was known. Sometimes that was because you didn't know any better. Other times because you didn't feel like you were worth anymore. It's incredible, this reality of this little girl. Pay attention here. Yes, freedom is a fight, but please don't get it twisted. She is not fighting to be free. She's already been freed. And because she's been freed, now she can fight. She won't be fighting for freedom. She'll be fighting from freedom. She won't be fighting to earn something, to earn freedom, because freedom has already been given to her by Jesus. No, she is fighting to live into the freedom that Christ has already given to her. 
She, we don't fight, Christian, you don't fight for freedom. You fight from freedom that's already been given to you in Jesus Christ. There's a word for this. It's called sanctification, right? It's this idea of being made holy, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more of who you already are in Christ. This idea of being sanctified is this idea literally of things being cut away. That there are old parts of your life that are cut away. Old parts of you that don't fit into the, your new freedom in Christ. Parts that felt so familiar to return to, but they were actually dragging you back to the old trapped way that you settled for. And this makes me so sad. It makes me so sad when I see people who follow Jesus just settle for less than experiencing the freedom of life with Christ that he has offered you in himself. Said another way, there is a point in all growth where it requires a loss of what you used to do. Our lead pastor Rob says it like this, there's no growth without change, no change without repentance, no repentance without loss, and no loss without pain. A few weeks ago I said it like this to our leaders, I said if it always feels easy then it might not be growth. The fight of freedom may feel painful and slow as you start and continue what you've already, into what you've already been given in Christ. As you walk in this freedom, you start to and you continue to walk in this freedom, which is why you need a place like Lydia's house. You need a way to know that you're not alone. People that you can lean into and rely on to grow in your new life with Christ. You need a community, which is one of the reasons we love gathering like this and we can't wait to hang after. But we also love gathering in circles all over Madison and connection groups. Because Christianity was always intended to be lived and practiced together. We need one another. We need Lydia's house. We also need Lydia's. What I mean is that you need someone who's just a little bit further ahead in following Jesus than you are. Not much, but just a little. Just like Lydia was to this girl. Lydia's only a couple of verses ahead of this girl. But she is a little bit ahead. Someone to help you grow up into your freedom in Christ just as they had to grow up into theirs. When freedom is a fight, remember you've been freed so you can actually fight. When freedom feels slow, remember, you are learning to live into the new way that you were created to. Uh, when freedom feels painful, remember that pain may be a sign of you growing into this new status of free in Christ. And when it feels lonely, remember that you can lean into the Lydia's around you to follow Jesus together. And over time, you experience the beautiful life of freedom that is yours in Christ. What if the life that you were always longing for was actually found right smack dab in the middle of experiencing and walking in the freedom that Christ offers? That over time, you would realize that you don't have to be used anymore. Over time, you'd learn that the old way led to death, but this new freedom leads to life. Over time, you'd start to realize this life of freedom in Christ instead of bondage to sin is what you were made for. Just like this little girl, by the grace of God, you could come to experience this life of freedom. If you learn the way that things are right now, don't have to be the way that they will always stay. You'll learn that Jesus could bring freedom, true freedom, to you right here, right now. I want to close by reminding you that this has always been the desire of Jesus for the one that was lost and trapped and distant to be found and free and close to him. Zay, you can go ahead and come on up. Um, there's two stories in Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. They've actually been on the screen the whole time. You just can't read them because it's really small. Um, that's called an artistic decision. Uh, sorry. <laughs> These stories... Go like this. I'll summarize them. Uh, story number one, Jesus tells. 
is that there's a shepherd with 100 sheep. He's got 99 of them. He loses one. He goes after the one. He finds the one. He brings the one home. And all the community rejoices. Hooray. Story number two. A woman has 10 coins, the totality of all that she has. And she loses one of those coins. She goes after the one coin. She finds the one coin. She brings it back. The community rejoices. Hooray. There's a pattern here, and it will be up on the screen. It's a pattern of loss, search, find, return, rejoice. This is the exact pattern that we see Jesus model through these stories, model in his life, and that we see followers of Jesus practice as well. In each of these stories we see someone go after the one. This is the pattern that we've seen. This little girl was lost. So God sends Paul through a dream to meet a Macedonian man, which he has still yet to do. Uh, But Paul searches and finds this little girl who follows him. When he sees her, he does not ignore her. He turns towards her, grieved for her, compassionate towards her, burdened for her, and does the only thing he can do for her, which is give Jesus to her. Jesus sets her free, and she is found. She comes to the household of the church with Lydia. She returns back to the place she was always meant to be to learn how to live into this new freedom she has in Christ. And while those who cannot use her anymore are bitter, the Christians rejoice because she was lost, but now she's found. She was dead, but now she's alive. She was broken, but now she's whole. She was on her way to an eternity apart from God, but now she has assurance of life in heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lost, search, find, return, rejoice. Soul Committee, this is her story, but it's actually all of our stories because every single one of us were the one. We were lost in our sin. Our direction apart from Christ had one final ending, eternity separated from God. If we live our lives apart from God, why would we think we would live our eternity any other way? We were hopelessly lost And so Christ came from heaven to earth for us. This is the search. That Christ would come to live a perfect life that we could never live and die the death on the cross that we deserve and rise again so that all who would trust in him as Lord and Savior would be dead to their sin and alive with God God in Christ forever. That we who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior turn from our sin and turn to him are found That we have an assurance of eternal life with God because of the finished and complete work of Jesus. Not because you're impressive. Not because of your good work or your church attendance or your whatever metric that you've made up. But because the grace of Jesus Christ has saved you through faith. The gift of God to you is freedom from sin and freedom to life forever. Found. And as we return to him again and again and again, we become more like him. We experience daily the freedom of being found by Christ more and more until one day we will rejoice as those who have been saved by Jesus see him face to face and step into eternal, unending, everlasting life with him forever. Lost, search, found, return, rejoice. Here's a reality for this room. There are two people in this room. There are those who are not Christians. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm honored that you've come tonight, genuinely and truly. I want you to know that even you just being in this room is proof positive that Jesus is welcoming you home. That he's saying, hey, actually, you can come to me.
don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to figure something out. You actually can hear this. Perhaps the Lord would open up your heart right now to respond to the gospel in faith and trusting in him as your Lord and Savior. And in that moment, he will give you this gift of freedom. Yes, you will need to learn a new way to live, sure, but there's plenty of time for that later. And he's a really good teacher. And he's put you in a community full of Lydia's houses and Lydia's, men and women who will help you and throw their arm around you and walk with you to fight from freedom and experience life with Christ. You can come to Jesus today. And then there's some of you who are Christians. You follow Jesus, and if you're honest, you this entire time have been thinking about that thing that you feel absolutely trapped by, like enslaved to. Like you see this story of this girl and you're like, I feel like that. Yes, I've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but there's this one thing or these things in my life that I am latching onto, holding onto, because you know that if you confess it, if you bring it to Jesus, your whole life might have to change, or at least significant parts of it. You are trapped by that one thing, and while freedom may cost you, oh friend, can I tell you that the cost is worth it? That Jesus is worth it, he's better. Whatever it is, he is better. That the God who created everything looked down and saw you and decided that it was worth it to die and rise again to give you salvation. And if he would go that far for your salvation, why stop short of that with being entrapped to something and not experiencing the freedom he offers you as well? There's freedom that's available to you in Jesus today. I love these words from Carolyn Gillette when she says, for freedom... Christ has set us free. What joy is ours to claim. No more enslaved humanity finds life in Jesus' name. We try, Lord, to be justified through all the works we do. Yet you adopt us, saying, child, it is Christ that makes you new. Salt Company, it is Christ that makes you new. It is Christ that sets you free. To that end, would you join me in praying? Close your eyes and bow your heads and just take a moment here to respond. Maybe you are that person that needs to come to Jesus. You're like, I, right now, I, I, I'm done trying to hold on. I'm done trying to run away. I want to follow Jesus. You could confess in your heart, believe with your mouth that Jesus Christ came and lived. He died on a cross but didn't stay dead, but he rose from that grave. You could repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior right now and you can start to experience this freedom. You will be free in a moment, and you can start to learn how to live into this freedom tonight. Brothers of you, if you're a Christian and there's that thing that you've just been holding on to, you feel trapped by, I'm just gonna ask you to come to your heavenly Father and ask him for help. Ask for what you need tonight. Maybe humble yourself and just say the thing out loud to him that you would say, God, I need you to free me from Take a couple moments to pray right where you are. And in a moment or two, I'll pray for you.
crush this moment. So if you need to continue praying, even as we sing, you are more than welcome to do so. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing.